This episode of the Power Connect podcast is brought to you by NRX, making it easier to buy and sell energy in competitive markets. Especially when it comes to engineering, which I've spent a lot of time in engineering, timing is important because of visas, right? There's a lot of people who require visa sponsorship, and that's something that's not changeable for them. They can't just change jobs once they're in those processes. That's their livelihood, you know, being able to stay stay in the States, for example. So that's an area where timing is, is very important. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 10 of the program happening today. Glad to have you guys on board. The month of July continues to roll along. The heat is nonstop. ERCOT, MISO, SPP, all being taxed to the gills. And uh, thus, so far, everybody's been able to hold tight. And, of course, uh, folks are talking about conserving energy, which, look, right now, that's the thing to do. So it's it's a tough time for everybody right now. But, uh, yeah, it is a hot summer across the entire United States of America. And, of course, we have not been uh, immune to that, certainly here in the good old state of Texas. So we've got a lot to get into today. Another great episode on tap. We've got Mr. Silas Mayner, a fellow podcaster himself. He's the host of the Clean Techies podcast. He's also a recruiter extraordinaire for Next Wave Partners. We're going to get into a number of different things with Mr. Maynard today. Obviously, we're going to talk plenty about recruiting, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly that goes into recruiting. Also, too, he's going to talk a little bit about his podcast, the Clean Techies, a few episodes that you guys need to keep an eye out on. So we're excited to talk to him about that. But a couple things we're going to take care of first. Don't forget, as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcast. Spotify, do it on Google as well. And of course, you can also follow us on the website, thepowerconnect.net. Follow us on LinkedIn, The Power Connect, and of course, my LinkedIn as well, Fred Davis. Easy enough there. Uh, the latest and greatest, all things going on with the podcast. And of course, whether you're a podcast partner or looking to join, and or if you're trying to be a guest as well, reach out to us, whether through LinkedIn or the email, fred at thepowerconnect.net. You can't go wrong there. Also, too, very excited about some episodes we've got coming up. Uh, Erin Twomley, we're going to have her later on in the week as well, talk about her brand new book focusing on women in the energy transition. Great stuff there. Uh, Mr. Joe Britton, he is the executive director of the Zero Emission Transportation Alliance. Also to Miss Raina Hajra Rasuli, talking all things sustainability and climate tech over in the Middle East, and a very exciting three-part series that we're going to be doing with Mr. Nate Richards and the team over at NRX uh, on all things competitive markets. Obviously, right now, there's never been a more dare I say, interesting and or trying time to be in the competitive market business. And so we're going to talk to Mr. Nate Richards about that, give you kind of an A to Z look on all things competitive markets. And so you may be saying to yourself, wow, that sounds exciting, Fred. No, trust me on this. This is going to be a very compelling look at it because it's one of those deals where a lot of folks kind of, you know, they know the market exists, but do they really know the ins and the outs and kind of the, the fundamentals of how it all works? And we're going to talk to Mr. Nate Richards about that. So I'm looking forward to it. And of course, we're going to do it in Power Connect style. We're going to be engaging. It's going to be informative, and I promise you, you will learn a lot from it. So stay tuned for that. You will be glad that you did. All right, let's get right down to today's episode. Mr. Silas Maynard, Next Wave Partners. We're going to be talking recruiting. Uh, he's going to give you some ideas on if you're in oil and gas, transitioning into the renewable sector. We know that a lot of you are. He's going to give you some tips on how to do that. Uh, also, to talk a little bit about his podcast, why he started it, kind of how he got into the whole business as well, and kind of what's 
been some of the things that he's learned from being in the podcast space. So a great interview with a great individual who's doing tremendous things in the climate tech and renewable space. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the program, Mr. Silas Maynard. Thanks for having me on, Fred. I really appreciate it. In terms of, you know, from a labor standpoint in the renewable energy space, so just to give kind of some context, I work with Next Wave Partners as a recruiter, and primarily we work inside of renewables. Uh, my role is overseeing North America. And I would say the labor force right now within renewables is quite, it's, it's booming in a lot of ways, and it's also very tight in some ways. So there's, there's a number of factors that, that play into it. And I can kind of go back to when I got into this back in, in 2020, right before the pandemic. So you know, pandemic comes, uh, a lot of companies, you know, kind of traditional mindset of, hey, we got to pull back, we're going to put hiring freezes on, et cetera. And then there was a number of companies who had just kept their foot on the pedal, right? They actually took that opportunity when the layoffs came to find some really good talent from some of the larger players out there who had been in the space for a while and were able to really build out great teams. And then you kind of zoom forward, things go back to normal a little bit. And right now we're in a position where there are more more people than ever, especially in, in North America, entering the renewables, you know, utility scale renewables market. There's a lot of CNI players as well uh, and community solar, but utility scale renewables, there's a lot of people entering. You've got billions of dollars piling into the space. And as a result, you've now kind of, I would say increased the number of developers out there by about 25 or 50%, something like that. And you don't necessarily have enough talent to go around. So kind of, you know, on a daily basis, the, the struggles that a lot of my clients are having are wanting to have really good talent that knows exactly what they're doing in the renewable space, which is when you, when you, totally, when you look at battery storage is extremely difficult because only very few companies have actually done battery storage. You know, it's only really been around for four or five years uh, kind of in, in popularity. And there end up when even on the solar side and the wind side, People end up paying a lot of money if they're going to be very stubborn about having a specific type of skill set to join their team. Um, so salaries have increased a lot. Um, a lot of people, you know, kind of generally speaking, are, are becoming mercenaries to some extent because there's not many things that are differentiating one company from the next other than having a really like world renowned financial backer. So those are kind of like some of the big items right now is. Uh, it's just difficult to get people because there's also a lot of recruiters in the space and people kind of get fatigued from, from having all these recruiters reach out to them. So as a result, it's harder to reach them in the first place. And then once you do reach them, their packages are very difficult to deal with. And, um, you know, a lot of people just aren't prepared to, to pay what, what's, uh, what the market's demanding. You know, correct me if you're seeing this, because this was probably about nine to 12 months ago when I had this conversation with this gentleman, is that, you know, some of these companies are like, look, that's all well and good. Yes, maybe he's done this on the oil and gas side. But to your point, I need somebody that has plug and play solar slash wind slash battery storage. I don't necessarily have time to try to train this person up to do what I need them to do. Yeah. So when it comes to the oil and gas space, there's kind of traditional energy, we'll just call it traditional energy to, you know, kind of this newer renewables stuff. There's a couple of things that happen. So first of all, a lot of candidates think that their skills are extremely transferable, which in many cases, the logic stands and that's, it's generally true. However, you've got, like you said, developers that cannot risk, you know, these are three years 
to develop a project, right? At, at kind of the bare minimum, right? You've got to have the right people who understand how to deal with the stakeholders, how to make sure the interconnection is correct and get the right deals and you know, get the right PPAs in place, et cetera. And you really, there's no room, there's no like room for, for error, right? It can't be otherwise a couple bad projects can, first of all, tank the reputation of the developer and it can tank the developer, right? Because they need to be able to show great success, especially at the beginning. And then they can get more funding to continue to continue going. If they're greenfield developing, you know, sell those projects, which will then fund further for the development. So I have not seen a lot of people enter the renewable space from oil, from traditional energy, except for I've seen a number of people come from land acquisition, especially in Texas, because that's a very you know technical aspect. Um, you know, understanding understanding mineral rights, et cetera. That one, I've seen a lot of people move over. I've seen people move over from legal, uh, from traditional energy. Those are kind of a little bit easier. Some of the engineering ones are tough. I've, um, you know, I've definitely seen something, some things in the offshore wind space, the floating offshore wind space, to be per, to, to be specific, that there's a lot of really, really skilled engineers when it comes to floating structures and um, doing structural analysis and things of that nature for floating offshore wind, which I've never seen any skill in the in the renewable space to this day, unless you're going to be looking at maybe some countries like Spain who have done a, a couple of pilot projects. Um, so there are areas where people are coming over, but I'd say there's a general apprehension among most developers to to hire those folks, uh, and I'm not I'm not exactly sure why because if you have the couple kind of leaders in position who can train these people you can actually build pretty loyal loyal employees, right? And you can get these people upskilled relatively quickly because they understand how the energy market works, which is kind of the big item that you you can't just you can't just explain how the energy market works to somebody kind of in, in a weekend, right? It, it takes a while to understand those things. So I think that those, those areas are where people should look, uh, but if people are oftentimes kind of, at least it seems to me that a lot of times people are kind of just, oblivious to how difficult the market is and how small the market is, right? I've only been you know, doing recruitment in, in renewables for, for about two and a half years now. And it's pretty easy to start to know, like you see the same people over and over again, even though you're constantly looking through new companies, you're seeing the same people, right? They just kind of get recycled around around the space. So that's, I mean, and, and how difficult does that make your job then when, you know, again, you're basically just you know, beating on the same few folks or, or like I said, when you've got what we think would be a large talent pool from what it sounds like is that, you know, it's, it's a pretty select talent pool when it comes down to it. It is. The talent pool is, I mean, there's a lot of areas where as a recruiter, you always think, Hey, you know, I know the whole market. You keep slowly uncovering kind of new, new engineering firms or consultancies that you never looked through before and you find more pools of candidates, but it's also, it's not like you hit the jackpot kind of thing, right? You maybe hit a tiny, you, you struck uh, a little bit of gold, it's one little nugget, and you can really quickly just kind of rip through that. So usually what happens is it comes down to timing. So a lot of times, you know, we have to put extra effort into maintaining relationships with all of our, with all of our folks, because, you know, especially when it comes to engineering, which I've, I've spent a lot of time in engineering, timing is important because of visas, right? There's a lot of people who require visa sponsorship and that's something that's not changeable for them. They can't just change jobs once they're in those processes. That's their livelihood, you know, being able to stay stay in the States, for example. So that's an area where timing is, is very important. So it's important to uh, for us to keep in touch with these folks, to catch up with them every three months or so, 
uh, have some sort of way of keeping in touch with them through email or whatever in order to to build a relationship so that we know hey my my visa's come through i'm ready to go now and uh, if we can be the first person there we've kind of i guess for play the long game right we've stayed in touch with them even though there's no kind of immediate benefit to us uh we're playing the long game so so yeah i think i'd say those are some of the areas uh, in general I know, and again, I, I you and you've had an interesting career just from the conversation you and I have had. Which look, I, I can certainly appreciate that having gone from, you know, sports radio and newspaper to where I'm at now. What's been the biggest change for you outside of obviously, you know, getting getting better at your job? But what have you noticed is the biggest difference from when you started two and a half years ago uh, to recruiting in this this field, you know, in the renewable climate tech sector to where we're at right now? So. I would say an, not a ton has changed other than it came a little bit easier at the beginning because there were a number of people and there were there was less competition amongst high like really good packages and and um, you know benefits and things of that nature. A lot of companies didn't have uh, very very strong packages, so it was relatively easy to kind of pick off from some of the bigger developers that had training programs and they brought people in from graduate level and they kind of worked them through the levels. So as a result, the, these younger, I guess, professionals coming into the space were constantly learning. So as a result, they had not a real reason to kind of want to look outside um, of their current employers. And eventually it got to a point where, and I think this is kind of part of the dilemma is right. There's a, there's a kind of a lack of respect almost for, for each other that all of those good companies that, put a lot of effort into training people through, you know, two to five year programs, they became really well known. And as a result, our clients, the first person they'd say, Hey, can you please go poach from this company They have a great training program? And as a result, and then they just, they see all of their work because obviously, you know, if you're running a company, you're putting all this effort and time and money into training these people, getting only three, four years out of them when you've put in so much effort into them, that just it doesn't really pay off so that's kind of why it's gone to more of a short-term needs type of type of uh, type of searching so that's changed a bit because in the beginning it came a little bit easier people were more open to talking and things were getting were really starting to get hot in kind of 2020 when things were taking off and now it's so hot that people have you know if i spend obviously i spend a lot of time on linkedin but if i'm scrolling through linkedin I'll see so many people every day who have just changed new jobs, right? And um, a lot of times companies I never even heard of, even though I'm sp- spinning around in the market. So it's just very, very hot and at times very difficult to get a hold of people because you know they have their own ideas about what they want to do. And, and also like totally respectfully, they realize, hey, I need to focus on actually doing my job, right? I can't just be in this job. If you're a developer, for example, you can't just be in a job for six months and really walk away with anything substantial on your resume because these projects take so long to close. So there's a happy medium that people float. And, you know, we obviously have to be kind of walk this fine line of being really buggy versus just saying, Hey, let's at least have a conversation so we can understand where you're coming from. And, um, you know, it is difficult because there's so many, there's so much money going into the space. And as a result, kind of usually the recruiters and the the agencies just follow it kind of like uh, parasites just, following the money that, Hey, we know there's money to be made here. A lot of them don't actually know what they're doing. So as a result, the, the overall quality of service and recruitment has, um, for a lot of people, they've had really bad experiences, both candidates and clients. Right. So it's, it's, it's created this kind of difficult, um, this difficult lay of the land, but at the same time, it's also 
you know, easier for us to then be like, Hey, give us a shot. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll differentiate ourselves, et cetera. So those are some of the, the, the issues. It's just so hot right now that everybody's moving very quickly. And it's really hard to sometimes even get them to talk to you in the first place to, to consider taking a new job. And then once you do get on the phone, you have to have some very good selling points uh, to get them to want to change. Do you see this cannibalization uh, slowing down anytime soon? And how does Silas Maynor maneuver through all this madness? I would say I don't I don't know that it will slow down anytime soon because I think people are very short sighted right now. Because if you look at it, my 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 general feel on the market is that, and again, I'm I'm no expert at how the market actually works itself from the kind of the actual projects perspective, but from what I can gather, it seems as though people are in a mad rush to get these done because they realize there's only so many projects that could get done, right? The the biggest, the biggest bottleneck is the interconnection queue. And there's only so many positions and, and things like that nature. Uh, obviously, as more assets retire, we'll, we'll see more spots open up. But just the, the congestion on the grid is such that you only have a limited number of projects that can be built, essentially. So companies are trying to rush in and take that over and then have some type of kind of stake in the market where they can then maybe pivot into adding EV charging or something to their um, to their stack once those things become profitable. Because right now, a lot, a lot of people aren't aware that EV, EV charging is a very, very difficult business. Um, it's usually because the consumers have a different you know mentality about how they get energy for free, et cetera. So I would say I don't necessarily see it slowing down anytime soon, but I do see that there has to be I'd say generally speaking, kind of broadly, the people I have on my podcast all talk about, especially on the climate tech side, when it's, when it's less about the energy markets, they're more willing to train people. So they're more willing to take people straight out of college or even without any college, right? They, they actually don't necessarily care about any specific degree because many of the universities cannot keep up with the new technology, right? It takes, it takes a few years to understand the technology enough to create a program around it. So as a result, you just got to find the people who are passionate and kind of at the leading edge of these newer technologies with things like carbon capture and EV, et cetera, to get those people who are motivated and who have you know clear communication skills into your team. So I guess the, the broad trend I find will happen at some point is that we will go to a method of training more where there'll be you know training partnerships that will work with some of the larger EPC firms or developers to help train specific skill sets such as uh, project developers, construction managers, PMs, and there'll be, you know, six months, nine month programs that are kind of in partnership with these big developers and they will be able to take them in kind of like a, as an offtake agreement, right? You we're you're going to help maybe fund this kind of maybe as a collective thing, or maybe you just, you know, make an agreement to hire these people and perhaps it's self-funded by the students themselves. Right. I, I went through a program kind of similar, but kind of a generalist program to help people launch their careers. And, you know, six months to nine months, you can learn a lot and you can get launched into the basic skill sets required to be mentored by somebody who's in the business for a while. And that can really help. And, and that, in my mind, that's the fastest way we're going to solve this problem because four years, you know, if we wait four years for everybody to, who's interested in, you know, seeing this, this trend take off pile into the universities, we can't wait four years for them to get it done, to get into the market. Right. We need, we need people now. What's the most aggravating part of your job? Because look, we see, we, I mean, people listen to this podcast, have been contacted by a recruiter. It's, it's a thankless job in a way, right? Because you see recruiter and you're thinking, oh God, here we go again. And you know, every summer, 
pushy and, and you think to yourself, like, how the hell did you get this job? Others are probably, much like yourself, very respectful and have a very professional approach. What's kind of the nuances of this job that, that you've noticed versus, you know, some people telling you to go F yourself versus, you know, going into a nice conversation and getting a place somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I would say here's the, the dilemma is that, like, I have to, as a recruiter, understand that the rest of the people – the, the most of the candidates are not getting a good experience, right? So I don't blame them for not wanting to talk to me sometimes. But usually what happens is if you kind of send your outreach, um, whether, you know, we, we do proactively headhunt people by phone call, right? And sometimes you have to be really aware, like maybe they're at work and you just be really careful to, to say the right things so that you're not, because um, some people are in the office again now. So you don't want to, you know, put them in a bad situation. So learning how to have that nuance and come at it from their perspective and, you know, I've had people where I've reached out to them and said, hey, you know, really, really thanks for, for reaching out. I'm just not interested. And I said, OK, great. If you are if you were going to look for a new role, what would be the three most important criteria? And then sometimes they'll be like, oh, wow, nobody ever gives me the time of day to ask that question. Usually people are astounded that I ask that question. Right. Which is a kind of a big in my opinion, it's a big thing. Like you should know what's important to you to, to leave a current job. And I've had times where I ask that question and then they say, hey, here's, you know, actually, thanks for asking. I'd want this, this and this. And I say, oh, well, actually, by the way, this role has those three things. Would you be open to a chat? Like, I, it, it feels odd because they told you no. And you're like, I'm asking you again, but I know what's in your best interest. I know the reason I reached out to you is because you had certain kind of things on your on your profile. And based on what you've told me, this role would provide those three things. So it would be remiss if, if I didn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask them, are you sure you don't want to speak because I can offer you those three things in this opportunity? Would you at least want to have a chat? So those are the type of things like approaching with a nuance and just being willing to, to spend the time to send back long messages again and say like, okay, well, what about this and this? And just kind of understand them as much as you can so that you can perhaps get them to understand because, you know, not everybody's going to be interested in any, every job, right? They, they usually have some specific things. Sometimes it's compensation. Sometimes it's they, they have an intention to completely move to a new city and they're looking for a job in that city. There's a lot of things that, that I would say the biggest thing I've learned as a recruiter is that there's no, no matter how long you do this job, there's always going to be things that you never see coming. Yeah. There's just so many things where you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought that that would be an issue. And then you write it down and you ask that question every time now, but there's still going to be all these unknown unknowns that people have in their lives. What's the craziest thing that somebody had a reason for why they wanted to leave or what they were looking for in their next uh, employer or job? Um, I've, I've had people just simply want to change roles. Um, like they want to completely change industries. Like I had somebody who we got her through three rounds of interviews and they even booked a flight for her to fly and, and meet them for the final interview. And then after that was all booked and everything. And, you know, I you know called her to give her a preparation call for the, for the interview and she's like, you know, I actually just decided I want to go back to school and do something else. And it's like, um, and it's like a completely, completely different field, you know. And I was like, it was really hard because I ask people always at the beginning, you know, what what are you motivated to do in your career? Like five years from now, where do you want to go? And there's certain kind of areas of the of the industry that I really know well because I've talked to hundreds of people, so I see what the what the what the usual outcomes are when you make certain decisions in your career. And um, it's hard for me because, you know, they told me a certain thing, but there's also a certain level of like, as a recruiter, you have to sell them, but you also have to make sure, are they a good fit? Because you can eventually get high on your own supply at some point and just like tell yourself, yeah, they're right. And look for the, look for the green flags instead of looking for the red flags. 
in terms of like crazy reasons people want to leave. I, I've had people who just wanted to, I don't think it's that crazy, but people were just like, Hey, I want to go, I want to go live in Europe or I want to go to, to some other place. That's a great reason. <laughs> It's I mean, a, it's a great reason. That's not a bad reason at all to want to go uh, and get out of your current profession. Now, one of the other things you do, and that's how one of the ways you and I connected, is the you are the uh, creator, host, founder of the Clean Techies podcast. So uh, I do appreciate from one uh, from one podcast guy to another. So I appreciate you coming on on my show. What um, look, man? There, there, there's and. and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on this one. I mean, let's call it what it is. There's a lot of folks out there. I call this kind of the, the blog phase of, of the early 2000s when anybody that had an internet connection and, and you know Microsoft Word decided that they were going to be a journalist for a day and, and started a blog. Now people, anybody with an internet connection and a microphone, hell, just your iPhone for crying out loud, wants to be a podcast host. Um, what have you learned through 52 episodes, number one? And number two, what was kind of the genesis and why you wanted to start the Clean Techies podcast? And, and for the folks at home, what it's about so they can go uh, subscribe and follow when they're not listening to uh, the Power Connect. I would say the impetus for starting the podcast, I, I've always loved the idea of podcasting when I was younger. I, I always thought it'd be very fascinating if I, I didn't have this, like, the equipment to do it. But when I was younger, I was like, it would be really cool if I YouTubed a whole bunch when I was young, because as I get older, I'll be able to look back and be like, wow, look how much I've grown. Because I just kind of inherently knew that I was going to grow a lot through professionals and like professional life, et cetera. So that was kind of the interesting thing. It was like more of a self-reflection thing to see like, hey, how have I grown? And then I started, you know, doing some podcasts a while ago, just kind of talking to people about uh, their careers in very disorderly fashion, essentially. But eventually I, you know, wanted to do something a little bit more serious, something that I could feel comfortable posting on LinkedIn, essentially. Um, to me, that's the ultimate, the ultimate measurement, right? Does it, does it align with something professional you're doing? And um, I started the Clean Techies podcast. So a couple of reasons. First of all, I wanted to build a name in the space because there wasn't a lot of, I mean, there are, there are a number of them, uh, of other climate tech podcasts out there, but there weren't a whole lot. Most of it focused on energy. And I was very fascinated to get into the space kind of from, I guess the, the thing I learned is that after I joined Next Wave, I started to learn about how interesting the climate tech space is right i grew up in an area of the country where everybody said you know climate change isn't real renewable energy will kill the it's going to kill the economy like all these things they don't make sense and i started i just believed it growing up and then one day i started to talk to some of these people in the climate tech space and for example there's concrete company that puts carbon in the concrete reduces the amount of cement required it strengthens the concrete by about 20 percent, and it costs the same amount to make so it's like the cost is zero you know, it's not more at all. It's stronger product and it reduces the carbon impact on the world, like carbon emissions. So I said to myself, what if these are, if there's a lot of these companies out there, why aren't people talking about them? Because everybody says it doesn't make economic sense, but it does make economic sense. And in a lot of cases in the building tech space, et cetera, I found out like it makes way, way more sense to be green than it is to be brown. And I was like, I want to talk to this. I want to do this because, you know, while I know that many of the people I grew up with in that area probably won't ever change their minds, maybe they don't even listen to my show. I figured if I can convince one person to change their mind who might be somebody really smart, who could then go on to solve one of these problems, I'd love to do that. And I also just really wanted to learn about the space and what's going on there. And it's been, it's been an opportunity to do so because once you get a couple episodes rolling, um, you basically immediately have clout to some extent. 
So people are more willing to come on, right? I've had probably 10 or so guests who are Forbes 30 under 30 over the past couple of years. And it's, it's been really, really enjoyable. And in terms of what the podcast is about, I would say, you know, generally speaking, it's anything I try to kind of go right beyond the renewable energy. So things kind of after the energy transition that energy transition is enabling. And it's, you know, things like EV carbon capture, um, building technology or prop tech, some people call it. Um, I've had some people talk about the grid and you know, modernizing the grid, um, have some venture capitalists on there. So just generally speaking, talking about the climate technologies that are really kind of no brainers, right? Where it's like, there's no reason why you wouldn't adopt them. And there's no reason why you wouldn't do it because it actually is oftentimes cheaper uh, and better for the environment. So, so why wouldn't you? But the nice thing is, and what you're doing, and and I I'm right there with you 110 percent. Is you know you can sit there and preach to the choir all you want, and folks you know may or may not listen to you. But when you get these founders, when you get these executives, when you get these folks on there, these these innovators that are out there doing it, and then folks get to hear from them, then it kind of changes the audience's idea a little bit because now it's not just you telling these people it's like no no look listen listen to people way smarter than me tell you why you we need to be doing this kind of thing and then yeah. people start to resonate and it starts to make a lot more mm -hmm. sense yeah i think i think one thing that for me has been really great is that i, I came from a family where I, I grew up working for my dad in his, in his cabinetry shop so we're very kind of trades oriented people both my parents grew up as farmers and seeing how many people have created very interesting solutions to the climate problem who came from the trades background and they, you know, they just knew the problems, right? They knew how things were. It wasn't academia that solved these problems. In many cases it, it is because you've got researchers who are doing like super smart things with their PhDs, but then you've got these people who like know what are the problems with HVAC systems or what are the problems with being alignment. I've had somebody who was alignment who started a, a, a grid IoT company. Seeing that this kind of like what some what a lot of people call regular people have come up with these great solutions because they were in the weeds of these problems, that has always been fascinating to me and kind of an inspiration that anybody can do these things, right? You don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be somebody who has dedicated 10 years of their life to, to studying, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think that's something that I've learned that's been super, super fascinating about it. The website is cleantechies, T-E-C-H-I-E-S, pod.com. Of course, uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple. Uh, you're, But you're a lot better looking guy than I am, so you're on YouTube, are you not? I am on YouTube as well. That's just under Silas Manor. Silas Manor. And spell channel. that for the folks at home for uh, who, who may or may not be spelling in class. <laughs> yeah, it's Silas, S-I-L-A-S, Manor, M-A-H-N-E-R. Gotcha. And then um, I know you just dropped episode 52, so shout out to you for that. I know uh, putting these episodes out is certainly, uh, it's not, that, and that's where you separate the men from the boys, the girls from the women, uh, the haves from the have-nots. When you get to a certain episode number, because, you know, again, it's easy to crank out two or three episodes, and then the idea of having to edit and host and put everything out, it's not for the faint of heart. So my, my, uh, my definitely shout out to you for putting out 52 episodes thus far. What's one of your favorite episodes for the folks that uh, if, if there's an episode two or three, and I know they're all, it's like, you know, it's like asking which kid is your favorite. Uh, give us two or three episodes that uh, tend, to, tend to stick out for you that folks may want to check out to get a little flavor about what Silas made is all about yeah i think one of my favorites uh was a podcast i did with um eddie demai from code labs it's uh he discusses kind of prop tech at large and 
the biggest takeaway from that one for me was that when you have a building that is essentially a smart building or, or a green building, you can charge 20, up to 25% more for your leases. And by having it as a green building, you're already reducing your expenses by usually around 20 or 30%. So you not only are reducing your expenses, but you're actually increasing your uh, the amount you can, can lease for. So you're massively increasing your profit margin. That was a really interesting one. That was episode number 25. And then I'd say one of my other really favorite ones, which I think got, didn't get a whole lot of recognition, but I think it's very, very fascinating is uh, this episode with Josh Santos from Noya. Uh, Noya is a company that re- they've just started their, I think they did their first pilot and they're kind of commercializing now, but they, they retrofit cooling towers on commercial buildings to capture carbon and then they can offtake it in a liquid format. And the, the most interesting fact to me is that they have it set up in a financing model where you the building owner pays nothing for this. And once it's done, inst- once the installation is done, they actually receive a percentage of the sale of the offtake from this carbon. And so as a result, it's like a no-brainer. You just say, yeah, sure, go ahead, fix up my cooling tower and you're gonna make another small stream of income. You know, it's not a massive thing, but as the carbon economy grows, that, that will continue to become a really legitimate um, type of type of offtake. There's going to be a lot of people looking for these things because the entire plastics industry has to be re- redeveloped. And I think largely it's going to be fixed and solved through carbon because carbon can be used for so many things. It's, it really it's crazy. Can. So those, those are my favorite. That was number 19, by the way. Number 19. Fantastic. And then, like I said, we just dropped episode fifty-two. Who's uh, who? Who? Who did you have the uh, the pleasure of, of bringing on for episode fifty-two? Yeah, I had James Henry of My Heat, a former Google employee, and what they're doing at My Heat is um, surveying basically heat loss. They're creating a heat loss map similar to the way you'd create a, a map of solar solar energy resource, and they can scan like a whole city. They've done Toronto, I believe. They scan the whole city. And through this map, in partnership with utilities, they help reduce, uh, they help get homeowners to really make like substantial changes to their homes, like insulation, et cetera, to reduce heat loss so that it helps obviously reduce the, the amount of energy, right? We're becoming more energy efficient. So it's instead of just trying to create behavioral change where people are, you know, every day having to remember to turn their thermostat down or whatever, they can use these programs that utilities have to actually improve their homes and reduce the amount of energy being spent. So I think that was a pretty interesting one as well. Look, my man, it's uh, if you haven't, if the folks at home haven't figured it out by now, definitely one of the best podcasts around. And uh, like I said, I try to take great pride in who I bring on the show as well. And so uh, when I saw what you were doing, and you're an absolute uh, monster on LinkedIn, and I certainly can't thank you enough for your support as well. So uh, just podcasters helping podcasters, which I appreciate. And uh, like I said, go check out the Clean Techies podcast. You will be glad that you did. Anything that you want to let the folks at home know in case uh, we haven't got it out yet? I would say just one thing for people looking for jobs is make sure you, from a recruiter perspective, make sure you keep your LinkedIn's very updated and think about the keywords of the industries you're looking to change. Anybody who's looking to shift from oil and gas to renewables, keep in mind the, the keywords that recruiters might be looking for and be willing to go out of your way to you know pitch these people and write about it, like learn and educate yourself because a lot of people think that they know how everything works. Like, oh yeah, I have the right skills. But you're going up against people who have been in the space for a long time. A lot of people have this idea that renewables is very new. 
And while it is, it's also not, right? It's, it's been around in full swing globally for a while, right? For probably 10, 15 years or right. And in the, in the US, at least since 2008, kind of majorly. So you are going up against people who know what they know. So just really educate yourself if you're looking to make that shift. And feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Silas Maynard. Don't forget, you can catch all of the Power Connect episodes over at thepowerconnect.net, Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Google. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Why? Because I think we do a pretty dadgum good job, and it helps with the algorithm. And why wouldn't you want to help out the show if you're listening to it? Because so far, i got to believe you like what you've heard. As we alluded to at the very beginning of the show, a lot of great episodes coming up. Aaron Twomley, Joe Britton, three-part series coming up with Mr. Nate Richards and Miss Rain. Hazrasuli talking all things sustainability in the Middle East. You do not want to miss that. Thank you so much once again to all the guests, the audience, the listeners, everybody for making the show what it is. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up, all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. Only thing we have to